You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am one of your hosts, Derek, and I have your other host right here, Ryan. Hi, Derek. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. Good to see you. Yeah, ditto. Yeah, I like your hoodie. You got a nice hoodie there. I do. This is great for our audio listeners. Yeah. Have a hoodie on, yeah. Well, to see Ryan's new hoodie, you can go watch us on YouTube. <laughs> That's right. Give us our fifth, fifth view. Uh, we, of course, are one of your Nicolas Cage movie review podcasts. I say that because I know we're not the only one out there, but we are out there. And you have found us if you're listening. That's true. Or watching. And this episode is episode 40 of the show, and we are talking about the 2005 film Lord of War, which of course stars Nicolas Cage alongside Ethan Hawke, Jared Leto, Bridget, is it Moy, Moynahan? 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 Is it Moynahan? It's probably Moynahan. And Iman Walker. So uh, I apologize, Bridget. No offense intended, but... I did not prepare your name ahead of time, I, you know, but uh, yeah, Lord of War is about an arms dealer confronts the morality of his work as he is being chased by an Interpol agent. I'm not sure that's a great summary because I don't know that he confronts his morality, but uh, what are you going to do? It's directed by Andrew Nichol, who actually has written a lot of really interesting things. He wrote the Truman show, for example, as well as the terminal and the host wrote and directed this so Gattaca Gattaca yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and I actually thought the direction was really interesting in this movie so you know it would be cool to see him do more uh it's probably not something he's doing these days but um you know he's got two upcoming things in pre-production though one of them is supposedly the sequel to this yeah so I've heard about that, but I just the, the the way this movie was shot was was not boring at all. We've we've done a lot a lot of movies with new directors that are not great, or the director is trying way too hard. But this one felt like it was pretty interesting and not trying too hard. So mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. The, the direction, uh, that the is. direction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially the opening was very interesting. <laughs> uh, you mean the unique. CGI bullets? Uh, the CGI bullets. There's the like commercial that he's doing in front of a green screen. The, the movie bookends in, um, oh. you know, and then there's the whole like bullet POV manufacturing and journey process and the, 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 the title sequence, the opening credits. Yeah. You basically covered the first three points of my notes. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. I mean, it's fine. Yeah. My first note was CGI <laughs> bullets. Cause it's literally just like a panning shot over a shit ton of bullets that, you know, under scrutiny, don't really hold up to uh, viewing. It, they definitely just a bunch of CGI bullets. Um, and I did not notice that they were fake. Really? <laughs> I did. I did not. Wow. No, okay. I did not. Um, you thought they just laid out a million bullets for this one shot? I mean, I don't know. I've seen movies do weirder things. That's fair. Um, and then it goes up to hit to Nick Cage. Uh, like in, it looked like really bad green screen. Yeah, you noticed that, right? I absolutely noticed okay. that. Yeah, yeah, and he's standing there like selling guns, essentially, like he's trying to do a salesman pitch for guns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then it cuts into like this interesting, also very CG heavy, 
uh, intro where you see a bullet being built and sold between, you know, countries and crated and sent to other countries. And the bullet always ends up facing outside of the box so that you can see what's going on, which is very fortunate. If they had just, <laughs> I'm glad, if they had followed one of the bullets that was in the bottom of the box, the intro would not have been very good. Yeah, I think that would have been boring, which is probably why they didn't go that route. It just didn't feel supernatural, is all I'm saying. It, it, the bullet, you always, it would face down for like a second, and then you it would come back up, and you you know kind of knew that was coming. Sure, yeah. So then we get into the opening credits, and I thought it was interesting that Nick Cage was listed as a producer for this movie. Yeah, he is. He doesn't do a ton of that. Uh, we also, it's a Saturn production, which we see a lot of. Yeah, indie indie company, yeah. I think. He works with Saturn quite a bit. Yeah. My next note. Oh, the, the way that this uh, the CGI bullet building and being sold throughout the world thing ends is that it gets shot into the head of a child. Right. So really good stuff there. Uh, lots of kids dying in this movie. So it's a heavy film. This is a heavy film. It is, but it didn't feel like the content is heavy, but it didn't feel like leaving Las Vegas at the end or like, uh, you know, the frozen ground or something like that. It, yeah, it, 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 the way that's why I mean when I say the way it was shot was interesting and the way it was written was interesting because you didn't feel like this was a, I would watch this one again. Mm. Um, it was, you know, it was it was depressing subject matter, but not done in a way that is designed to make you feel like sad when you leave the theater is an entertaining movie for for such serious subject matter i think that's fair i think some of the characters like amon walker's character uh he plays um he plays the the president i suppose of uh, i believe it was liberia um and he he just brings a lot to that character he's just this huge personality and stuff like that and there's a lot of that type of stuff in this movie um, that I think really kind of helps keep interest and keeps it kind of moving forward in kind of a less depressing way. And then we get our first checkbox on our bingo card. <laughs> Nick Cage voiceover. <laughs> Woo! Which is like the first 20 minutes of this movie is all just voiceover. There's mm-hmm. is a very voiceover heavy movie, which is fine. I, it didn't bother me. But no. uh, yeah, it was it was really heavy on the voiceovers. You get a lot of char- the characters' internal monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, he's faking being Jewish in this movie. Is that what I got from that intro? His whole family is, yeah. yeah. So his family's Ukrainian, and this so this is a period piece. It starts in 1981 and goes through. I think it's 2001. Um, and so when after World War II. Uh, the whole Soviet Union and, and everything like that. A lot of people fled areas like U- the Ukraine and came to the United States and they were trying to fit in and not be necessarily looked at as Soviets um, or communists because there was the whole Red Scare thing in the 50s and all of that after World War II. And so, yeah, they pretended to be Jewish in New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's going through his whole like family history and and how all that works. His name is not actually Yuri Orlov, right? Didn't he say they made up that name? Yeah, it's a, it's a made up name. I forget what the his real name was, but um, and yeah, they're they're pretending to be Jewish. Mm-hmm. Although his dad is very well, very much a practicing 
Jewish man. I mean, he he's yeah. going to church a lot, and you know, temple, temple. Yeah, he's going to to practice his religion. Sorry. Um, <laughs> in... uh, for all intents and purposes, the dad is Jewish, but yeah. you know, <laughs> in this movie, his wife is not super thrilled that he has gone into method acting for right. for this, but yeah. And so uh, at this point, Yuri is working for his parents mm-hmm. at this restaurant, right? It's a restaurant. Yeah, they own it. It's their restaurant. Yeah. yeah. And so I think, wasn't he delivering food when he, or picking up food? He's picking something up when when that shootout happens. So he was supposed to be going, he was supposed to go check on the specials is what he right. was supposed to be doing. So I think he was supposed to. Oh, he was going to a competitor to shop. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then uh, he goes in there, and a couple of mob guys or somebody, something like that, come in and uh, start shooting up the. Well, they're specifically targeting people, like certain people. What one guy? They're there to kill yeah. one one dude. Yeah, who, and who does so, the stereotypical table flip? Right, he hides behind. Yeah, and Yuri is obviously not one of the ones that they're trying to kill, so he's just standing back behind watching this. And uh, after it's over, he picks up a bullet off the ground or a casing, I guess. I don't think I think it was a spent casing, but um, and he realizes that that's what he's called to do is sell guns, even though he doesn't know anything about guns. That was a weird leap. You know, I'm not sure that I followed that leap, but uh, oh, to be fair, something to point out, this movie is based on some real events, though. Yuri is kind of like an amalgamation of various people. He's not just one person that that it's based off of and that's true of other characters in the film that's just worth noting yeah and uh so this shootout tra- makes him decide that he's going to be a gun runner essentially somehow uh that's probably the biggest leap of faith in the movie yeah. um but it, it's fine he, the, he's a younger guy he's smart and he like you know he really commits to learning everything he can about guns and gun sales and wars and political things that would affect gun sales and things like that um and so he sells some uzis which are new at the time i think Mm -hmm. it was uzis to someone and they like point the guns at him he says you could kill me with this and nobody would hear it and the guy points the gun at him and starts laughing uh and so that's his first sale and then he goes to his brother who's played by jared leto Yep. Who I yeah, I'm not the world's biggest Jared Leto fan, especially his recent stuff, but he was really good in this. Um I agree. I will kind of wonder what happened to that Jared Leto. You know what I mean? That's fair. No, that he is. was good in this. He's to me, he's kind of the heart of the film. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Where in, in all those more modern films for me, he felt like he's trying to be the center of attention in every scene he's in. And maybe he is the main character in some of those scenes or in some of those movies. So that's fair. But you can be the main character without commanding all the attention of the audience. I think I think this character was a little bit like a little unassuming. Right. He's playing second fiddle. um, And I think that just it just fit him very well. But I think this was pretty early in his career, wasn't it? I mean, so the movie's 2005. Jared Leto was born in 71. I guess he started in like 92, 93. But you know, so. he hasn't. He didn't do anything really big. I guess uh, American Psycho was before this and Fight Club. 
I forget he's in American Psycho. No offense uh, to him, but yeah, he was he was also really good in Fight Club and American Psycho. So I mean, it, I don't know. I guess I just prefer early Jared Leto. It's you know, I never really realized that, but yeah, Phone Booth was really good. Um, Requiem but... for a Dream. I mean, there's there's some good ones in there. He didn't doesn't seem like he really started to get noticed until Fight Club, at least by stu- like non indie stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, so he goes to his bro- the brother, uh, Fatali, uh, that's Jared Leto's character, and asks, says that he wants him to be a part of this. He, like, pulls him up to the roof of the restaurant and has a conversation with him, and his brother's like, what, you're selling guns? What do you know about guns? <laughs> Which is a fair question. Which is a really fair point. <laughs> uh, the character's never expressed any interest in guns up to this point, and so, uh, yeah. But eventually, you know, it's a brother, so he's going to support his brother. And, you know, that's, that's what brothers do. And, uh, well, you know, in the movie world, that's, what, <laughs> that's, that's right. what they do. Not always in real life. But, um, yeah, so they team up and uh, we get a nudity and Nick Cage sex scene. So that's fun. <laughs> and he's also doing it with his brother, like, in the next room, who's also doing having sex. So. Yeah, that was kind of weird. Go them. And Nick does not seem really into it at this point. He's just kind of laying there while this girl is, you know, doing her thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, hey, man, that seems like a theme in these movies, right? Like the one where he was Abraham Lincoln and and was doing (laughs) it. Like he was not into it. He was just like sitting there while the girl's just going to town on. Oh, my God. It was Abraham Lincoln. In the weatherman, in the weatherman, yeah. Oh my god, that was just last episode. That was yes. I feel like in a lot of these movies, maybe we should add another box that's unenthusiastic Nick Cage sex scenes. Yeah, making the notes. Making the notes. (laughs) I mean, we don't have to, but it does seem like it happens more frequently than you would think. I Um, think that's fair. It does. It happens quite a bit. My next note is more kid death. Yeah, I don't remember what that was specifically about, but. You know, just another kid dies. Um, is it? Is that? I don't want to jump too far ahead. Is that when they're 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 in another country and they almost get shot behind because they're like behind a wall or whatever, and he like drops all the money and. Yeah, probably. Is that That's, the scene? It's yeah, in the same. Yeah, the same area time wise. So we see that Jerry Lowe's character Vitali, he's he has decided to join his older brother, right? In yeah. this, and they go um, make a sale, and they do. And uh, then this is where you get the the initial glimpses that Vitaly maybe has some problems with what's going on and isn't sure how to cope with those things. Um, and Yuri, Nicolas Cage's character, is clearly more focused on the transaction. He's he's focused on the business. He's focused on the money, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so they're leaving this transaction. And they're walking along this brick wall and a bunch of bullets come through the wall and Vitaly immediately pulls out a gun. Obviously, if you're a gun runner, you're going to have guns. But uh, he he's looking through a hole in the wall to see who's shooting at him. And he sees that uh, it's basically a bunch of children and teenagers that are lined up in front of this wall, like uh, execution style. Like uh, what's the there's a term for that type of execution uh, where they just have a line of people oh. with guns well it's a firing squad firing squad yeah that type yeah. of that type of execution with multiple kids um or young people uh, all being murdered and instead of uh like 
caring about that. They just gather their money and go the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's like I said, like we said, it's pretty serious subject matter, but it's handled in a way that's just not. It is less depressing than it should be. Um, and then we get we start to get it to see like I really liked this Nick Cage character, this character he played yes. Yuri because you you got to see him play a very confident character mm-hmm. somebody that is put in these situations that you ha- he had to think on his feet very quickly and otherwise he's getting caught and and if he because he, he he just is forced into these situations where he has to be confident quick thinking and calm to get through the situation and this is the first time we get to see him really do that kind of a situation in this movie he, he's on this boat and they are running just big uh shipping containers full of guns uh and they're they have interpol chasing them they 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 get a note that interpol has uh gotten their location and the name of the ship and is on their way to them right now and they have minutes before the that they're stopped by interpol and so we get to see he he changes the name he calls somebody and gets the name of a ship that uh that is not a related gun running ship you know it's an innocent ship that they have a record of and he has somebody change the name of the boat very quickly to that name and then his brother he has a whole like chest full of different countries flags <laughs> and his brother he tells his brother to get a flag from because this is from some other kind of country netherlands yeah. and uh his brother is digging through and can't find the flag. He says, we don't have one. And eventually he finds like, I think it's a French flag. Mm-hmm. And says, if you turn it the opposite direction, it's a Netherlands flag. And it's also shows that his brother is very quick thinking too, because that's not something that most people would have come up with that quickly. So yeah, these are sharp, smart um, guys. Yeah. yeah. Very quick thinking, quick on their feet. And uh, yeah, it's kind of our first look at why he's good at this. Mm-hmm. You know, he is a good salesman, but, he's good at like thinking on his feet and making decisions that he has to, to keep himself out of jail. They well, do. Right, Cause there's, there's so much more than sales here. Right. Cause you're, you know, like you're going to people who, you know, want weapons. Right. You're selling right? it. Yeah. The other stuff's the hard stuff, you know? And so they do a yeah, really transporting good job it against, you know, line, country lines and uh, getting into the country illegally. Well, um, even just acquiring an inventory. Right. In many cases it's is all, very difficult. Yeah got to yeah. grease a lot of palms um but yeah they uh so they do have interpol stop on their ship still mm-hmm. um nick cage's character has called somebody with the u.s government and said can you tell them that this other ship got spotted somewhere else and so while they're waiting for that to come through the interpol agents are on the ship uh and they pop open one of the one of the shipping containers and these guys have covered all the crates of guns with potatoes. Uh, and so when they yeah. open the, when they open the shipping container, a bunch of potatoes just kind of roll out. This is our introduction to Ethan Hawke's character. It's our first time seeing these two interact Yuri, although they don't inter- really interact in this part. They're just there together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ethan Hawke's character is an Interpol agent that is trying to stop gun running for, you know, the only honest cop left. I mean, it's not really implied that he's the only honest cop left, but it is implied that there's a lot of dirty people in the government, which, you know, is also a theme in a lot of Nick Cage movies. One of Yuri's uh, voiceovers is about how, like, 
Jack Valentine is the kind of guy who won't break the law to bring him in kind of thing. Like he, right. he does paint he knows him that. as this very like ethical, moral rule following type guy. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, I think in this situation, the guy paid for the guns with cocaine. I think that's a little later. My next note is casual drug use. Hmm. So uh, I think I, maybe maybe the, this is a different sale, but at a certain point, there's a guy that uh, that gives them cocaine mm-hmm. for the guns instead of money. And they because he tells him that it is going to be worth more if he just goes and sells this. Um, and, you know, obviously he's not a drug dealer, so he's upset about that. But the, this is when he gets shot, right? Yeah, he gets shot. In the side. So did we skip the the whole like gun show thing with the airplane and meeting Ian home and all that. Did we skip that? I mean, I, feel, I don't know if I had any notes about that, okay, but I feel like I feel yeah. like that happened earlier on, but that's okay. We'll yeah. get to Ian. So yeah, so he gets shot in his side. Right. And I guess, you know, he'll heal up. It'll be fine. And his brother <laughs> his brother pulls a gun on the guy that shot him and he's like, no, 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 no. You know, we'll take the drugs. And so they take the drugs and he does his voiceover about how the guy was right, and he made so much money on this on these drugs, and you know, he would have uh, made more. But yeah, he would have made more if they hadn't smoked a whole or like snorted a whole brick of it. Freaking brick of it's gone. Yeah, uh, and his brother at this point has run away. Yeah, yeah, he just the, vanishes into another brick. country. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and obviously he goes and you know chases him down because he needs him. Uh, but then he ends up taking his brother to rehab. Mm-hmm. But he gives him a little bump before he goes into rehab. Uh, so not a, you know, the, he, he, the, uh, Vitaly is like, you're a great brother. You're a great brother. But really, he's not that great of a brother because he's enabling this drug addiction. Um, but right before taking him to rehab. So it's kind of a weird situation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this is where we get like a real introduction to his wife. Or his soon-to-be wife, Ava. Because he goes through it. Once he drops his brother off at the rehab, he books a whole like hotel resort for a fake photo shoot for her and pays her uh, to be there. And then the photographer cancels, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and which just leaves him and her at this resort. And so... So she's also Ukrainian like him, and she doesn't know who he is, but he's been like following her their whole lives since he was 10 years old. Yeah, which is a she... little weird because if you look up their ages, there's like we looked it up because one of our bingo card slots is 10 <laughs> years or more age difference. And she did look younger than him. There's there's like a seven year age difference. So if that translated into the movie, then that would mean he'd been, he was watching her when he was 10 and she was three. I, I, I think they're supposed to be closer in age in the movie. But... Yeah. But she's like, she's a model. She does commercials and ad campaigns and stuff all over the world. So he keeps seeing her, you know, in other countries and stuff when he's doing his his travels. Right. And he kind of manipulates her and she ends up kind of. of. I mean, he doesn't lie to her about what he does. He just doesn't tell her. Uh, dude, this is a full. So first, the situation is manipulative. Yes, absolutely. All of it is, is massively manipulative. He lies about the photographer he lies about the hotel he lies about the private jet 
right? And then um, he doesn't ever really tell her what he does, which is a lie of omission. And she's she knows that she shouldn't ask, and she doesn't. So she's also just kind of willing to play along with she's it until to the ostrich thing, putting her head in the sand and ignoring uh-huh. everything around you. Yeah. Um. So yeah, basically, this is really fast. We go through a lot of years really quickly here. Yes. Yeah. Um. So we get the fake photo shoot, smooth talking Nick Cage. We get the scene of him on the plane on a private jet with her because she said that she. Wow, conveniently can't get a, a flight out of uh, of this airport or whatever. And so he's like, well, just hop on my private jet. I'll take you wherever. And so we get a scene of them, uh, of her like falling in love with him in this jet. Mm-hmm. and uh, Which isn't they, actually his. He rented uh, it. Yeah. Although he does have his own planes later in the movie. Several. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then it basically cuts straight to the wedding. Yeah, that that's like a, a cut. Like, it, there's nothing yeah. in between. We never see them date. Right. It's very jarring, but uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting situation. We basically cut to the reception, and right, you know, <laughs> right, the wedding's over. Yeah, yeah, and then we cut to they have like a three year old. So I mean, it was a lot of years in a very short time frame. Yeah. Here. Um, and it's interesting the way that they try and show you what year it is because they use different real world events. Uh, like at one point, I'll, I think I have a note for it later, but they show like the OJ trial they to let do. you know that it, you know, it's this is now the 90s, yeah, um, and different things, you know, they show the fall of the Soviet Union, Soviet Union, yeah, exactly. So that that's how you're kind of tracking what year it is is by these real world events if you know what year those happened i guess well, a lot of people these days don't they do show year tags when they show the locations when they're mm. moving around they show what year it's in. but it, it jumps so around far. a lot it really jumps around a lot yeah um so yeah we should probably cover the guy from the gun show because i don't have any notes on that because it wasn't really an exceptional scene but at one no. point him and his brother do go to like it's not really a gun show so much as it is like a machine of murder show where they have like <laughs> tanks and like well, they're so, selling like surface to air missiles, which I've been to gun shows. Not a lot of that at gun shows. Not, <laughs> not, a, lot of, not a lot of tanks for gun shows. It's more like people trying to sell to, to the government type of yeah. show rather than like your typical gun show at your local convention center. And and they get in there because there's there's a piece where we find out one of the guys at their dad's temple has connections in this world. And so Nick kind of befriends that guy. He tells him to go talk to Ian Holmes' character, uh, who is Simon Weiss, and that's at this this event. And it, I mean the events, I mean, I don't know how realistic this is, but like, you know, there's an airplane and there's women in like tight skimpy camouflage kind of dancing on these planes the guys end up taking that's who the guys have sex with by the yeah. way in the first, that's in the first not sex unrealistic scene. no Just okay FYI. i mean every co- kind of convention you go to has like well maybe the sex part is unrealistic but every kind of convention <laughs> you go to that's focused on especially like male dominated things like well, cars this... and guns they're always going to have booth babe type people. but since this isn't like a consumer event that doesn't matter. You know, I just figured it'd be handled a little bit different, but it was very like, it felt very Americanized. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> and th- yeah, that was earlier in the movie when, when they were having the unenthusiastic sex. That's who they were yes. having sex with. So yeah, yeah, that happened much earlier in the movie, but that character is going to come back. 
Anyway, yes. when they run into that character, he says something like, uh, you're, you're too amateur. Uh, you know, you don't want, you can't handle the big dogs. He doesn't really say that, but it's that kind of implication, you know, you're, you're too small potatoes for me to have a deal with. Right. Cause like Nick is like selling weapons, but Ian Holm is like changing governments and nations and things right. like that. And the big, his big thing is that he's picking a side. Right. And uh, these, po- in these political scuffles or like, you know, freedom fighter type scuffles. But uh, Nick Cage's character, as you see throughout the movie is not picking sides. He's selling to whoever he can both sides you know whatever he doesn't care um and funny enough that doesn't really bite him in the ass at all in the movie i thought that was kind of gonna be a point later that like somebody's gonna find out that he's selling weapons to both sides and you know but no never really does no um so yeah again after the uh after it shows he has children and everything he's take it shows him taking to his brother to rehab again Mm -hmm. and giving his brother drugs again before rehab and uh yeah then he flies out to i think it was the ukraine where he has like an uncle Mm -hmm. in the military and so he basically manipulates this uncle who doesn't really want to give him this thing that he wants he he gives him like a briefcase full of money he has a bit of a problem with alcohol that's called out in the movie and you see him drinking almost nonstop. You yeah, know, so and he gives him alcohol and gives him money and basically manipulates him into uh, giving away or selling whatever you want to call it. He's giving this guy money for access to just take all these weapons. He's not, you know, buying the, the weapons necessarily. They're basically forging the inventory documents, you yeah. know, and claiming that. So they the have... weapons are falling off the truck, essentially. Right. Exactly. Yes. Except so, yeah. in this case, it's not just it's not just guns; it's tanks. bunkers. Yeah, and it's there's like a helicopter at one point. Yeah, seven <laughs> helicopters, I think he mentions or something. Yeah, so it's literally like these huge concrete bunkers full of thousands and thousands of weapons of uh, you know military aircraft, um, tanks, things like fun that. Fun fact: fun fact that giant line of tanks in the movie, those are real. Uh, they were owned by by an arms dealer and supposedly they had to warn the government that they were shooting this scene as to not arouse a problem by having this this giant line of tanks ready to go that would not be happening today i I feel like that was something that you can only do once and then you're ruining it for everybody else right they're like we're not gonna let that happen again right yeah um so then we see him cheating on his wife with a yeah so he goes to he goes to a restaurant with ian holmes character which yeah. is a very it's a very this is a very hollywood scene where like nobody's really eating but yeah, it kind of <laughs> reminded me of the scene in inglorious bastards uh, where they're sitting at the table with the like creamed cake or whatever it is yeah you know that's a good that's a good that's that was a good scene and they did actually eat in that scene but it was a lot of talking and not a lot of eating that's fair yeah but yeah yeah we see him cheating on his wife um so around this point we were trying to decide if Nick cage plays an asshole is checkable on the board i think it is uh, by the end of the movie it for sure is yeah um, and this point was where we were starting to go mm, yeah um i mean he manipulated his wife into marrying him i thought that counted yeah that's that's fair yeah. <laughs> um my next note is antagonizing ethan hawk oh okay so uh he he manipulates his uncle or whatever uh into getting all these guns uh and then the guy shows up the other gun runner guy that said he was two small potatoes 
and uh, apparently was trying to get the guns, but he shows up too late. And then his uh, his Ethan Hawke shows up at some point in there too. Well, so there's a there's a short series of events where they have that interaction, you know, um, and they they have that little kind of dinner restaurant thing. And and Ian Holmes' character is trying to say like we should be working together, we should be teaming up. Yeah, you know, you're causing chaos and this kind of thing. And Nick Cage is more like. I don't need you. No, I'm too amateur for you. That's what he says. Yeah, so that he like right. just reiterates that he's too amateur for him. Uh, but then, yeah. So then Ethan Hawke is showing up when they have this, like one of these helicopters are trying to get off. And again, it's another scene where it's like showing his uh, ability to improvise in a situation. They have the, them take off all the like missiles or military weaponry off mm-hmm. of this helicopter. And they're saying that he, Ethan Hawke shows up and now Nick is saying that it's a, uh, for humanitarian missions and things like that and that it's decommissioned and even though the missiles or whatever are sitting you know 20 feet to the left on a pallet um you know he says that's perfectly legal and he knows the law and it's like a loophole in the law and ethan's hawk's character knows that it is so he can't do anything he even says like that's going to be closed any day now and it's like let me Not know today. what it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, he's definitely like antagonizing in this point. He it, it, we see him very confident. Mm-hmm. He has no doubt that he's not going to get arrested. Um, and so Ethan Hawk's character leaves. And I think at this point, because I have killing family. Okay, so I basically his uncle is completely drunk, and Nick Cage is like, Hey, we got you a new car. Um, and we see uh the other gunrunner guy driving away from the car and and nick and, and he's like oh this is this is the i'm the luckiest man alive and uh-huh. i was like oh he's gonna die yeah that was too much too much man <laughs> yeah and so he walks down and gets in this car that nick cage says he bought for him and the car blows up as soon as he starts it and i thought at this point that because they had met they had talked about how like people were starting to catch on and things so I thought that it was Yuri, Nicolas Cage's character, that killed his own uncle. Oh. To oh, wow. tie up the loose end. And I don't think they really ever say who did it. It's implied that it's No, uh, they they do answer it at the at the they? tail at the towards the end of the movie. I don't want to jump too far, but when we when when we find out what happens with Ian Holmes' character, it's, oh yeah, it's, they do confirm it. Then. I guess at this point, though, it's not really confirmed. I, that no. was what I thought happened because I put that he's killing his family. Um, wow, but, I did not go that route. I thought it was. I I thought somebody was trying to kill Yuri. Yeah, and, and it, when it gets to the point later in the movie where he does actually have to kill somebody, it kind of made more sense that it wasn't him because he got really weird about killing somebody. But maybe yeah, that, anyway. he's, he he draws a very interesting line. Yeah, as he, you know, talking about his morality, right? So yeah. after after he gets all these guns, the he starts targeting Africa because there's a lot of um, you know uprisings and fights for power in Africa, and so he brings all the guns there, and he this he he has, basically is on I think it's a either a boat or a plane I can't remember he's getting onto something and this guy shows up with a golden AK-47 and says that his dad wants to meet him. Oh. And his dad is the the i don't know a warlord basically but somebody that's the, the pre- he's the up, president right? yeah, yeah that's what he's calling himself yeah yeah um so he nick he just was like oh i'm sorry i'm just all booked up 
can't can't do it right now. And he's like, okay, well, I think you should do it right now. He's like, well, looks like my time just freed up, uh, which was interesting. But yeah, when they're drive they're driving him to the uh, to meet his dad, and they sign a con or they don't sign a contract, but they have like a handshake agreement that he'll be the one to provide the guns. And the guy is kind of portrayed as this crazy, like he kills people, you know, without even thinking twice. And at this point, he's showing him a revolver. Mm-hmm. And uh, he loads a bullet in and shoots a guy, one of his own guys, right next to him, like a, a young guy, a kid. Well, maybe. He was screwing around with a lady. Yeah, he, he didn't like that. And so, yeah, he blasted him, and uh, now and Nick Nick kind of freaks out, and he's like, "Oh, hi! How am I supposed to sell a used gun? You know, because it's been used now." And then the guy uh, thinks he's very funny. A used yeah, I think gun. it's hilarious. Uh, calling it a used gun he's like wiping it down to get all the all the uh gunpowder off but um yeah nick is not making a joke at this point he's no. genuinely like freaking out but the guy sees it as a joke and so mm-hmm. it works out and so the uh they make a deal and the son like drives him to a place to stay while he's in africa two-star resort two-star resort yeah and on the way he, he goes can you get me the Rambo gun? <laughs> and, and Nick's like, sure, the one from part one, part two, or part three. And he's like, oh, I've only seen part one. And so he's like, well, did you want the armor-piercing bullets with it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so that's kind of a running gag throughout the movie. Um, yeah. Gag might be a, a strong word, but it's a well, running yeah. thing. There's also a running gag about how, like, the guy says they call me the Lord of War. The... um the president guy and nick's like no that's a warlord and he's I like, like it my way better i like it my way better and he does that with several different things throughout the movie that's a bath of blood too. yeah bath of which blood. I, I thought that was hilarious but... I mean, that's a mon walker he kills this role he is yeah, so he's, good he's in this role yeah like it's he, Very, he... he commands he has a commanding presence he definitely controls which his character is supposed to kind of control the scene even with nick cage playing this like really confident character you can tell he's nervous around this guy all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So then we jump to the OJ trial, which I mentioned earlier. So that kind of gives us an idea of a time frame. Um, yay. Yay. And then we get more uh, child soldiers. <laughs> yeah. In this Africa uprising. Um, and yeah, this is at this. This is the second time that Nick meets him. I think that they show, and he does the not Lord of War warlord thing. Mm-hmm. I like my way better. Um, and so yeah, there's still continuing deals with this guy. Uh, and then we cut back to like Nick Cage in uh, in America, having given up his wife. I think at this point, his wife has found out or something like that, and he's uh. Has he given up? He at a certain point he gives up. I'm not sure if it happens right here, but I know it's a little. It's a little later in the movie. His wife, it's... his wife has gotten into this hobby of painting, mm-hmm. and so when he's back in the states, uh, he ends up like buying one of her paintings through like a sh- uh, broker, mm-hmm. so that she thinks that she's selling these paintings for a lot of money, and she gets very excited. Well, because, yeah, so the idea here is, right, she's gotten older, so she's not modeling anymore. She tried to make it as an actor. That didn't work. So now she's going to be an artist. And, yeah. He's trying to encourage that, which, yes, he plays an asshole in this movie. 
he, I, he does genuinely care about her. I feel like it's not like a fake thing because no, he loves her. In, that's a in really nice way. thing to he's, do. Yeah, he's just, in some ways. In other ways, it's and, uh, more manipulation. Right. I mean, it, it's arguably like the one nice thing that we see him do in the movie. Yeah. And while he's there, he uh, sees that his son is sleeping and has a toy revolver uh, on his like bedpost or, be- or you know, side table or something like that. And so he picks up his toy revolver and throws it away. I'm not sure I understood that. Uh, really? Uh, well, I mean, I took that as more like uh, he he's involved in the gun trade. He's seen what it's like, and he doesn't want his son to uh have but to be exposed to that he doesn't want his son to think that guns are like cool or something to you know make here heroic he's i don't know toy i don't know it is but it's a toy that is like his life yeah and he and he's seen what they do so So he he doesn't he didn't want his son going into the family business right he doesn't want his son even like thinking about guns okay uh, as a toy so he throws it away that's the way I took it anyway. Um, so then we get a shower sex scene with him. It's a and cool his shower. That's a cool. Yeah, when we shower. saw when I saw that, I was like, "Dang, man, he's got a nice freaking shower." It's a huge bathroom, and like this shower is like a walk-in. Like I well, don't know, like, it's got a it, door, and like you can see a window behind the bed that goes to the shower. Like obviously, yeah. he's very wealthy at this point. Well, but he said that he's not really that wealthy. He's living beyond his means. Uh, but he's starting to, I think around this time is when he says he's starting to actually have the money that he's pretended to he's right. had this whole time. Because these warlord, this warlord is paying him in diamonds, mm-hmm. blood diamonds, essentially, from the mines. Well, they, they call um, that out specifically. Yeah. That's one of the voiceovers. Right. So. Yeah. Um, so it's not like we implied that. It's, it's He knows that they're blood diamonds. But yeah, he, uh, he that's what he's taking his payment. And so then we get another scene where he has to do this kind of improvisational thinking on the fly type of situation where he's flying a plane into the African countries, one of the African countries that he's selling to. And uh, Interpol shows up in a jet. Although I thought it was over Africa. It is, it's over Africa. So I'm not sure why Interpol is allowed to fly their jets and shoot down planes over Africa. So I had questions about that, too. I guess I don't know enough about what Interpol is allowed to do. But basically, yeah, they they show up in this jet and they're like, you guys have to land. There's an airport like just, you know, not far from here. You need to land. And they don't change their trajectory at all. And so this jet like goes up behind them and starts shooting into the back of the jet, which is full of uh, or maybe it's not a jet cargo plane, something like that. It's full of uh, weapons and explosives, obviously. It Um, seemed like that was an extreme response to like an initial warning. (laughs) Agreed. So they put, you see like bullet holes going into the plane and everything. So they're hitting the plane. It's not like a, your warning shot next to it. And so they pull up next to it again and say, once again, we're asking you to pull off into this airport, uh, tilt your plane side to side or something like that. If, uh, if you agree. And so they tilt the plane and, uh, the pilot's getting nervous at this point. And, uh, so he's saying, we're going to have to go, we're going to have to do this. And Yuri, Nick Cage's character, is like, no, we're going to land right here. There's like a dirt highway, essentially. And he's like, he tells them to land there. So and there's people on this on this road like it's it's bumpy. And they're like, oh, if, if he hits any bumps, then it's going to all explode. And he says, I don't care. Just do it. So he, 
they land the plane on this road and like almost hit a ton of people. But you know, um, this is the second time that he's been in an airplane that landed on a road. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, th- third time, if you count Connor. Uh, yeah, we haven't gotten to that yet. No but spoilers. that didn't quite land as much as crash. <laughs> right. This one actually landed. Um, but he knew that the jet would it would take them some time to be able to get to wherever the plane landed because you can't land. They had like a fighter jet. You can't really land that on a dirt road like you can a cargo plane. And so uh, they land this and the pilot and his co-pilot run immediately. And they're like, we can't be associated with this. Where and do you think they went? I don't know. <laughs> Where do you th- what do you think they did with all those potatoes on the in the cargo ship when they got rid of it? At fries. They sell them to restaurants. Like they had French fries, I guess. Anyway, yeah. So they drop the the hat, like cargo hatch, in the back, and Yuri walks out and he's like, "Who wants some guns? You want a gun? You want?" It was like Oprah giving away on her show. She's like, "You Everybody get a gun, and you get a, a gun, gun. And you get a gun, and they're all free." And so yeah, these people just get all the guns, grenades. They're just taking crates of weapons. And so, uh, yeah, eventually Interpol shows up and all the guns and weapons are gone. And uh, Ethan Hawke's character is obviously frustrated at this point. He knows what's going on, but he can't prove it. He does find a bullet on the ground. He's like, oh, was this just here? You know, and uh, Nick knows that he can't be arrested for this. But Ethan Hawke knows that he can detain him. Mm-hmm. for up to for 24 hours so they literally like handcuff him and leave him because they know he can't go anywhere he doesn't have a pilot he's handcuffed where's he gonna go um and so they leave him there for 24 hours he's just sitting there and it shows like this plane getting just pieced apart by the people that live there they're just scavenging this plane and it goes from being a full like cargo plane of guns to being just a skeleton of a plane in 24 hours, basically. Because by the time Ethan Hawke's character comes back, it's got like two body panels left and it's just like a metal frame, mm-hmm. which I thought was an interesting, the way they shot that. And it was like a sped up, like people taking all the pieces of the plane. It almost looked like when a person dies and like the body mm-hmm. deteriorates, like, you know, they do that in movies sometimes, like a high speed deterioration yeah. process to a skeleton. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of that. And I thought that was an interesting shot. That is interesting. Um, yeah. So uh, we get Nick is back in Africa now and he gets called to go visit the guy or no, actually he goes to the, ho- his, the hotel, his two star hotel or whatever, where, uh, where he's been staying. And mm-hmm. in the hotel room is um, the warlord and his son and Bilbo Baggins. All sitting, he <laughs> Bilbo is tied up, um, and like gagged or whatever, and they've been waiting for him apparently for a while, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, they're like, we wanted, we thought we were gonna get get to kill him without or have to kill him without you, but here you are, and so he they basically put him into a situation where they want he wants this guy dead, but he doesn't want to be the one to do it, so the warlord puts the gun in his hand basically and like holds his hand onto the gun and -hmm. points it and pulls the trigger and at this point before he pulls the trigger it's we find out that um he was the one that killed his uncle um right and yeah he gets shot in the head and dies 
And at some point, one of these visits to the to this two star hotel, there's he has two women there waiting for that's him. the first time. The first time, yeah, when yeah. the son brings him there and asks about the Rambo gun. Um, and he talks about how you know it's tempting, but there's an AIDS crisis going on in Africa, and one in every four people have AIDS or something like that, or one in every eight people. It was some crazy, it was one in four, is what the movie said. I, I don't know what the real number was, but. So he, they were like whipping his belt off and like they were going to go for it. And they said, oh, don't worry, we're clean. And he declines after letting them like kiss all over him for a few minutes. Um, but I thought that was important. He didn't cheat on his wife in that case, but he probably would have had it not been in that particular country. Um, but yeah. the mm-hmm. that So he kills Bilbo. Um, yeah, shot right in the forehead. Yeah. You know. Uh, he had a book that he released right before that called uh, Gun Running and Back Again. And, God. Uh, it was a bestseller. That's why <laughs> Nick was really mad. No, um, they, he goes to a bar after this happens in, in Africa. And there's some kid in the bar with an AK that like recognizes him and buys him a shot and buys him brown brown, which is not something that he knows about. But apparently it's cocaine mixed with gunpowder. And mm-hmm. they said that the kids uh, snort that uh, before they go into battle, basically, and it makes them crazy. And get, he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And he's like, oh, you really should, because it's your gunpowder. And so then he does it, does the brown brown. I got to imagine get, that that's not good for you. I just get, I we get the most like cagey part of this whole movie, because he's I wouldn't say he's subdued, but he's not playing like a really crazy, you know, No, other than when he freaks out. Uh, when the president guy shoots the dude, you know, right. And he's like, Oh, it's a used gun now. Like that's really the only moment up until now. Yeah. And even that's pretty tame as far mm-hmm. as Nicholas cage goes, but yeah, we get like this high Nick cage scenario where he's, you know, running through the streets and, you know, seeing things and getting into situations and acting kind of crazy. Um, and he runs into some guys and almost gets shot, but the gun jam it's an AK and it jams twice um but he's very like he's very cagey in this moment too because he's you know he's pressing his head closer to the thing he's like let me see if i can fix it for you they shouldn't really yeah, do that exactly. i'll get you a new one i'll get you, you know I'll swap he, he you cheats out. on his wife uh again um and he runs into some hyenas just like you do you know certainly and, uh, not something i would like to do <laughs> we get a scene of uh his wife with uh ethan hawk's character um mm-hmm. she, he's not interrogating her because he doesn't really have any reason he just is trying to get some information he wants her to work with him and he tries to manipulate her by bringing up the death of her parents and saying that they were killed by guns just like her husband sells um and you know it's it's a whole thing but she won't give up her husband at this point um and so she tells him you have to go legitimate Mm-hmm. You, you, I can't, I can't do this, and so he does for like six months or something like that. He goes legitimate, um, and we get our uh, which, Holly... which drives Ethan Hawk crazy because yeah, because they're still like they've bugged all this stuff, like his phones and ta- they're tapping his phones and that and was they, kind of funny. Like, <laughs> now he's selling, he's selling dirt or something. Yeah, like, was... like he's a dirt salesman. Uh, it was but... funny. Uh, yeah, they're like, oh, that's got to be code for something. No, no, all the phone numbers check out. You know, it's 
And so we get uh, Hallelujah, the song, which, you know, Derek and I love so much from Zack Snyder movies. It's better Uh, in Zack Snyder movies. Yeah, it was fine (laughs) in this. It was just a weird place for it. Um, So at a certain point, the the president guy shows up to his house in America. Well, he's there like for the UN, you know, for a UN conference. Yeah. And he's but he goes to this random guy's house, which should have been a flag to Ethan Hawke right away. Um, You would think so. I don't know how that doesn't come back up at any point. But yeah, he doesn't know anything about this. And so the the president guy meets him outside of his house and is like, uh, we need we need stuff right now and we need your skills. And so uh, he's like, no, I can't. I'm gone legitimate. And the guy's like, no, here, check out this diamond. You're coming. You're going to do this. And he gives him this huge fucking like dog on the size of a golf ball. Yeah, it's it's pretty intense. And that's yeah. a hard thing to say no to for all right. old Yuri. Yeah. And so he goes and gets his brother who's clean now. So this is yeah, this this is where things get real tragic I re- uh, for for uh, Vital because he's finally clean. Like we have seen him drunk and high most of the movie. He's got, you know, seemingly like hooker prostitute type women that he's bringing into the house and stuff. Yeah. And he goes to rehab like, multiple times and now he's clean. He's been clean. He's got a girl who he really thinks he's going to marry. He's making plans to open his own restaurant. Like the dude's finally like got his head on straight. Yeah. And, and his brother shows up and says, I really need you. I really need you. He's like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. But his brother manipulates him because that's what he does into doing it. And so he tells his wife that he's going on some sort of business trip and uh, he goes and, you know, tries to do the sale. And meanwhile, his wife, he leaves for the business trip, but his wife follows him. And it says something like in the voiceover, like I've been followed a hundred times and I've always been able to, uh, you know, notice it, but not when it's my wife. Yeah. And so his wife follows him successfully and he goes to this shipping container where he has like his office, basically. That we've seen a few times in the movie up to this point. All of his correspondence, records. He's got ex- some example guns. weapons. Yeah, yeah. Her painting. Yes, and so she, she, he leaves, and so she goes to the lock, and she tries like his birthday, her birthday, his social stuff like that for the lock combination. They try. She tries his son's birthday, and that that gets him in. And so she goes in there, and she sees her painting. And she sees like all these passports with different, uh, you know, different countries' passports um, with his picture in them, things like that. And so she knows that he's not legitimate now and he's he's been doing something. So um, she lets Ethan Hawke know. I think that's what it's implied at this point, right? Yeah. She, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, then we, we see uh, Vitaly and Yuri in Africa again um trying to make a sale and his brother goes and looks like over the the hill that they're on and sees like this group of people and sees one of them just get just chopped up with their kid just get chopped up with machetes um uh, super dark and uh he realizes that they're just going to buy these guns and grenades and stuff from him and then go and massacre this little village of people and so he goes and gets his brother and he's like, we can't do this. They're just going to go kill the, all these people over here. 
And so at this point, you know, or at least I felt like I knew, and I'm sure you did too, that as soon as his brother grew a conscience, he was going to die somehow. And so yeah. his brother kind of plays along. And Nick's like, no, we got to do this. We got to do this. We're already here. They'll kill us if we don't do this. And so he plays along and he walks over to one of the, you know, one of the trucks of weapons casually and opens it up and uh, with a crowbar and it's full of grenades. And so this guy, the, the son, mm-hmm. I think it was with the golden AK-47, right? Was yeah. that who came up? Yeah. Comes up behind him and uh, he's like, what are you doing? Step away from that. And he whacks the dude over the head with a crowbar. And then grabs the grenades and throws one into one of the trucks, which explodes. Uh, and they, he starts running towards the other trucks and truck and gets gunned down. Uh, and is still trying to throw the grenade, even after he's been shot probably 15 times. Uh, and gets shot some more and then dies. And Nick put the, grabs the grenade, which had the pin pulled and everything, and puts the pin back into it. And then goes and sits down at the table after just watching his brother die, and the guy cuts the diamond amount in half, since now he only has one truck, and gives him the half of the diamonds. Um, Which I thought was a very measured response. Absolutely. Like, that guy is handling things better than most people probably would in that circumstance. Uh, But don't worry, Nick got the sale. So he got the sale, yeah. And then we see him like trying to travel back to America with his brother's body in a casket. He paid somebody to remove all the bullets, a surgeon to remove all the bullets. Um, nobody's gonna question all the holes apparently, but they'll question all the bullets because I guess they go through x-ray, yeah, and the bullets will show on the thing. But uh they missed one of the bullets, and so they get stopped, and Ethan Hawk's character is there. Um and well, no, he, he gets arrested by somebody else, but they, that, he gets interrogated right. by... But Ethan Hawke's character yeah. shows up shortly after. Yeah. He's like, we finally got you. And we get this really great scene really um, of him like sitting in custody. And they're talking about like how Ethan's, Ethan's character, Jack Valentine, is very happy. He's finally caught him. He's going to jail. There's no way he's going to get out of this. And we see the kind of... It's kind of a trope. Uh, you've seen it in like Mission Impossible movies and things like that, where uh, Yuri is like, well, let me tell you what's actually going to happen. <laughs> There's going to be a knock on this door in 37 seconds. When that happens, you're going to get called down to the uh, into the hallway and they're going to tell you that you did a great job and you're getting a commendation, blah, 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 and that they need to let me go free. And, you know, he goes through this whole spiel. And then sure enough, that's what happens, because the higher up people, he says that the highest people in the that the, that the president of the United States is the biggest uh, arms dealer in the world and that he needs the smaller arms dealers to to keep doing what they're doing and that they need Yuri. And so he's, he knows enough generals and stuff that they're just going to let him go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, at this point, his wife has left him. His brother's left him. Well, his dad, his dad, his, his parents left have disowned his life. him. His parents have disowned him. Uh, yeah. So he's got nothing at this point. He's just kind of alone. And that's pretty much how it ends. We, we get the CGI shot from the beginning with the green screen and the bullets, but in reverse. Right. So that's that's the movie. That's the movie, yeah. So he doesn't get caught. Um he the, doesn't die in the end, which is surprising. He, he does not die in the end, that's right. Ethan Hawk tries but fails and yeah, I mean he just continues. Yuri just goes on selling more stuff. He doesn't seem to have really impacted him much. Right. Um 
you know that his wife was like the love of his life right he's got a kid he lost his brother he just he's like all right well i got another sale to make just gonna yep. moves on um and that's it that's that, the end of the movie yeah the movie. overall i enjoyed the movie i thought it was pretty good um it's probably not like at the top of my list to rewatch but we've watched a lot of movies that i would never rewatch, and so you know, it was nice to have a movie that was one that I could would potentially rewatch at some point or watch a sequel to. Sure, I think that that's fair. Like, it's a very well made movie. Yeah, you know, it's got a good cast. Like you said earlier, the direction is is unique and interesting and in positive ways. Um, you've got a couple people like Amon Walker who just like steal the scene every time they're in there and um, create these very interesting characters that are very just compel- compelling to watch even though they're right. most of them are terrible like doing terrible things but you can't stop watching them just because of how amazing of a job these actors are doing um yeah yeah that's that's the movie so now we got to rate the movie for those who don't know we have our Kjo meter we score movies uh zero to 20 zero low 20 high on overall quality and then overall caginess so ryan for quality where would you rate lord of war i'm thinking probably somewhere in like a 12 to 13. yeah i don't know where are you at with it that's interesting so um i mean i was i was feeling pretty good i was gonna give it a 14. wow okay that's what i was thinking so do you want to give it a 12 or do you want to give it a 13. i'll give it a 13. it was it was pretty good and you know it was better than a lot of the movies that we've watched so yeah yeah, I agree. I mean, we gave Season of the Witch a 12. Yeah, know? and this was probably a little bit better than that. So I think it was a little bit. seems fair, yeah. Yeah, so that's that. And then we have caginess. So, you know, there's there's not a ton of it in here. There is the drunken, high, kind of stumbling scene that we talked about. Maybe a little bit on that yelling scene earlier on, but not a ton. Um so you know i don't want to go too low but i don't i certainly don't want to go too high so i was thinking maybe like a four yeah i was thinking a four also so i think that that's a good spot for it okay all right so we got a four on caginess a 13 and a half on quality so that's that and then we got to figure out which movie is going to join our wheel o cage so for those who don't know we have our wheel o cage where we spin to find out which nicholas cage movie we talk about next time on the show we keep 14 movies on the wheel at all times and the movie replacing lord of war is called a score to settle so that's joining the wheel so to find out which nicholas cage movie we talk about next time on the show check out our wheel o cage spin you can find us at comingofcage.com or at coming of cage on your various social media platforms including youtube ryan anything else for lord of war nope are you i'm interested in seeing the sequel if it comes out but uh you know i'm not holding my breath for it yeah i'm very curious if the sequel will be made the the primary character that yuri is based off of did get arrested in 2008 um so we could go through the end of this movie to then and kind of what happens with that but i'm no expert on the subject so i guess we'll have to wait and see yeah yeah all right well then that's going to be it for us this week thank you so much for listening to the coming of cage podcast we appreciate you find us at comingofcage.com and at coming of cage i'm derek that's ryan see you next time <laughs>